Amen. Well, thank you, Tracy. No, thank you. I brought my own. <clears throat> well, good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, today is July 16th, and we are in the midst of a hot summer. And so, again, Tracy mentioned AC. I'm also very grateful for it. I know uh, you could be doing a lot of other things. Uh, we live in beautiful northern Idaho. There's multiple lakes and rivers, and yet you find yourself here. And so I feel privileged that I get to have your ears this morning, and I hope also, uh, as I speak, uh, that I gain your heart. And so that is uh, something that I want to just tell you that I'm, I'm after your heart this morning. And so thank you for being here. I'll j I just want to start with a little introduction. Uh, my name is Jeremy Stevens, and I've been with All of Life. My family and I have been with All of Life for just over seven years now. And uh, when we first came, we met at a, at a little Nazarene church that we were renting out with 12 people. And to see where it's come from uh, seven years ago to what we have now is uh, pretty phenomenal. And it actually goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today in the growth of the kingdom and the mustard seed and the leaven in, in the dough. And so a, a couple things about me and, and my family is that we've served in multiple ways. Bonnie, my wife, was up here worshiping this morning. We usually come as a, a, a one-two punch. Uh, and so when I get to preach, so oftentimes she's like, I want to get into worship. And that's how we roll. And so I was really thankful that she was up here this morning. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, Kenan and Hudson, who are uh, rambunctious little boys that we love and pour into very much. My wife, uh, Bonnie, currently works as a, the best mom to those two boys, and then she also has a ministry where she counsels. She counsels with one-on-one -on -one, uh, through trauma, uh, abuse, and depression, anxiety, and um, partners with churches, and also a couple other ministries. And then um, along with her ministry, my uh, joy right now is being a part of the Union Gospel Mission. And so I work at, in Spokane at the Crisis Shelter for Women and Children. And that partly ties into what I get to talk about today. And so before we get into the word, I'd like to pray one more time just to settle, to invite, and to hear. So would you pray with me? Father, Father, one, you are just so good. just want to acknowledge that, that you are good. And Father, you know that I have an agenda today. I came with words to speak, but Father, I submit myself to you. So Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Lord, I, I know I'm talking to the intellect, to the mind, but my hope, Holy Spirit, would you grab a hold of hearts this morning? That is your work. And so Father, I give myself to that. Lord, help us to hear, help us to understand, and help us to love you more today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading Matthew 13, 31 through 35. And so we come off the heels of uh, Matthew 13, where there's the parable of the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, and then we get into this little section that Jesus continues with speaking about in parables. And so... This is on page 768 in your black Bibles around the room. If you'd like to join me, I'm reading out of the New International Version. This is what Jesus says. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. 
He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so to give you a little context, to get a little overview of what today is going to look like, is that I'm going to actually work backwards. We're going to first talk about why parables. Why does Jesus choose to use parables? And then we'll get into the yeast and then the, also the seed and this mustard seed and growing into a tree. And then I get to talk to you about how it looks like the kingdom of God grew throughout in the New Testament and what's going on today. And so... We'll begin by just saying, why does Jesus speak in parables? And this is an easy answer, and Matthew actually answers it for us. This is, this is kind of key to Matthew in his writing, is that he likes to say the why. And so he says, it's an easy answer, and that is to fulfill what the prophets had spoken about Jesus. Jesus is doing something to make sure that he fulfills what the prophets spoke about him. But that's not it. Uh, Matthew, throughout his book, is constantly reminding us that Jesus is a fulfillment of what was to come. And so everything about Matthew's gospel is saying he's the better Moses, he's the better Elisha, he's the better everything. And so Matthew wants to point out that Jesus is a fulfillment. And so everything Jesus does is the fulfillment, even the way he speaks. Even the way he teaches is a fulfillment. And so this, this actually, this verse here about uttering in parables highlights us back to Psalm 78, which we read this morning. And Psalm 78 says this. This is a psalm of Asaph. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and wonders he has done. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. Hear and listen. How many times do we hear Jesus say something like that? Oh, if you would open your eyes, if you would open your ears, if you would open your heart and hear me. This is constant in Jesus' teaching, that he's pleading, would you listen to my words? And so here, it's just, it's just part of a style of teaching, of instruction, that is just, a, one, it's just a good method to begin by saying, would you listen to me? I have something important for you. But then, as it's a parable, as a, a metaphor, an analogy, how, how many of you connect uh, more with storytelling and, uh, and, and just a, a good story rather than um, a, a lecture. Somebody coming up here with just point after point after point, trying to hit your intellect, but then a story comes up and there's something that just grabs you. And part of it is because a story is relatable. There's something in it for you. There's something that you can empathize with. Good movies do this and intentionally. If you, if you have seen the, the movie, the Pixar movie, Up, 
there's this scene that's like just a couple minutes long where Carl and Ellie, these two friends that have these dreams, they, they, they've become really good friends over this period of time. They eventually fall in love, get married, and they have dreams. And you see this, and then you also see this in, in this short clip where they go through times of suffering and they go through times of tragedy and it makes you feel it. You guys know what I'm, you you know that scene I'm talking about, right? It makes you tear up if you have a heart. But good movies like this, this is the same type of thing. It's storytelling and Jesus is really good at it. Storytelling in the human experience. The thing about Jesus' teaching that is really key is, is that this crosses, this jumps boundaries of cities, of state lines. It jumps boundaries of cultures and nations. Everyone can relate to it. Everyone can relate to it. Not just the Jewish population, not just those in the Middle East, but we do too. Everyone responds to this kind of teaching, and it's brilliant. Jesus is a brilliant teacher. Parables make you think. They make you contemplate. They make you ponder. They make you question. And they actually expose us to the light. We laugh at, at the disciples scratching their heads and going, uh, we didn't get that one. But really, the whole point is, I don't think Jesus actually meant them to get it. I think he wanted them to ask questions. He wanted them to go away and go, did you pick that up? What's going on? And make you think about it. And that's part of what a good teacher does. It's, it's, he's leading you to think for yourself. He's not just giving you the answer. And so, they make you consider, contemplate, and con- come to a correct conclusion. Beautiful parables. The mustard seed and the leaven. Let's move into this. So, this is a, this is a simple parable that I want to read again. The mustard seed, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. It is big. And then he tells them of another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into the large amount of flour and it worked all through the dough. This is a simple parable. This parable has the explanation somewhat wrapped up in it. And none of the disciples, this is kind of the irony of what I just said, parables are made to make you think, make you contemplate, make you wonder. The disciples don't ask questions about this parable. It's a simple parable. It's not, it's not one that we actually uh, go away from and going, man, what, what does he mean by that? It's a simple parable, and it's very relatable, it's particularly to them and their culture with, as an agricultural society, as, as a society that constantly, as the Jews constantly with Sabbath and everything, they, they make dough, they make unleavened bread, leavened bread, all, this is very familiar to them. The point being, humble beginnings. The kingdom will start out small. Now, you can imagine as the disciples are following their king, they're following the Messiah, the promised one, the one who's to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, that they're looking at this teacher going, what's happening? There's 12 of us. How is this going to work? 
They have expectations of the overthrow of kingdoms. So you have humble beginnings of 12 disciples and multiple other men. We have Paul that comes in, Barnabas, Silas, Titus, Timothy. And then we have these women. We have Mary. We have Mary. We have lots of Marys. And then Lydia and Dorcas. I love her. And then Priscilla and Phoebe that help grow this kingdom. They go about preaching, teaching, acting the good news of Jesus Christ. And they go forth spreading the seed. They go there for. And so that the seed would then sprout as water pours on them. Rivers of living water is poured out from the preaching of the word. And then God brings about the growth. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. This parable comes off the heels of the wheat and the tares, which when you read that, it doesn't sound super encouraging. The last words of that parable are that Jesus says that there will be a harvest. And at that time, the harvesters will collect weeds and tie them in bundles and burned. Not super encouraging for his hearers, is it? But then he tells us something that is encouraging. And that's what I think this is meant to be. It's an encouragement. After a hard parable, the leaven and the seed, it tells us that the kingdom of God is going to grow. These 12 disciples looking around at each other, these followers, how is this going to play out? And Jesus gives them, it's going to be bigger than you can ever imagine. It's going to be greater than you could ever think of. It's going to grow and grow to the ends of the earth. This message is going to go out and believers will come. We're saying about nations and every tongue will bow before the king. And there will be so many you can't number them. Abraham, the sand, the amount of, you can't even count, the, the stars, Abraham. This is what God is pointing to. This is what Jesus is pointing to, is that the kingdom of God is going to grow into this beautiful, wonderful tree that's bigger than you could ever imagine. And so this is an encouragement for them. Impressive results. What starts out small is going to yield impressive results. Though it starts out small, this is a promise that it will grow. I just want you to know this, and this comes straight from this promise, that no matter what happens in, the, in your Christian circles, in our Christian uh, culture, in the nation or in the world, there will be division there will be pruning through the Holy Spirit. There will be heartbreaking news stories. And I want to promise you this. God's kingdom will continue to grow. It's a promise. God's rule and his reign in the hearts of women, men, women, and children will continue to grow. And honestly, that's it for this parable. It's very simple. Now, don't get too excited. I'm not going to let you off that easy. But I don't think there's a greater point right here. I don't think there's anything that we are supposed to be looking at this going, oh my gosh, how, I need to scratch my head on this and think about this for a long time. Because it, it, it's so simple for us to say, okay, the kingdom of God is going to grow. The unreached people groups that we recently talked about uh, that um, we had a couple speakers recently. I, I know Matt Salcedo has been sending out wonderful emails in, in our church center about people we support over in Ukraine and, and just the heart of what's going on in there. But when we get to see, when we get to meet somebody 
that is in another culture that is happening to be involved with the gospel of the kingdom, it opens our eyes a little more. It opens our hearts to understand this isn't it. Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene, wherever you're coming from, Raftrum, Liberty Lake, this isn't it. The kingdom is huge, you guys. So, I want to switch avenues. I want to talk about kingdom growth and what the kingdom is looking like today, what the kingdom looked like in the New Testament and how it grew, how that little mustard seed began to grow, how that leaven in the yeast just began to grow. And so how is the kingdom growing today? And how can we saturate the inland Northwest with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's happening in our local communities today? Now, I mentioned the Union Gospel Mission. And in my sphere of influence, in what, in what God has given me, where God has led Bonnie and I, the kingdom of heaven is growing in the hearts of men, women, and children through the Union Gospel Mission. The Union Gospel Mission focuses specifically on those struggling in homelessness, struggling in trauma, struggling in addiction, struggling through physical, emotional, spiritual abuse, substance abuse, and much more. And so I want to talk about the growth of the kingdom that is happening here in your city, in your place. If you would, would you turn with me in your, in your Bible, page 807. This is Luke 4.18. Now this is Jesus. He comes into the synagogue. And, and this, is, this is his first message. This is his first preaching. And he opens, he comes in, and he opens the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he reads. This is the words that the synagogue, the people, the Jewish people first hear from Jesus. And what does he say? You'll, you'll know this well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is Jesus prophesying why he is here. He's going, I'm coming to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, if you're like me and you want to relate to what is happening in scripture. When I read this, when I hear good news to the poor, how is that going to be relatable to me? I think spiritually poor. Because I, I've never experienced poverty. I've never, I've been blessed not to. I've been privileged not to. He's sent to proclaim freedom. I've never been a prisoner other than spiritually enslaved. And then to recover his sight for the blind. I've never been blind. So I think spiritually blind and oppressed. I've never had a Roman dictator. I've never had a Roman empire oversee me. Land of the free, home of the... We don't, we don't experience... So when I read this, in order for me to relate, it's very different from what the, his hearers were hearing. And I want you to get yourself into that mode of hearing that Jesus is proclaiming good news to the poor, good news to those oppressed, good news to the blind that this is very different than what we usually are relating to. Definition of the poor. This is important. And I actually want to invite you into this. Would you please respond? 
When you hear poor, if you could give me one word descriptions, what, what is it that you think of when you hear poor? Need. Homeless. Hungry. Without resources. Yeah. Yeah. The poor are those in need. They are people created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, battling addiction, trauma, coping, struggling through mental health, experiencing the consequences of sin done to them, and the consequences of their own sin. And so, as the kingdom grows, I want to show you in the New Testament how important it is to Jesus, first here, the good news to the poor, and how important it was to the New, the New Testament church. As we look at Paul and his missionary journeys, as we look at Peter and their journeys through Jerusalem, con- uh, connecting with the poor in Jerusalem with the Jewish and the Gentile, I want to show you something. Paul's journey in the kingdom growth, as we see throughout the New Testament. So this is page 913 in your black Bibles. This is Galatians 2, 9 through 10. And this is Paul. I'm just going to paraphrase for a second. This is Paul. He's speaking to the churches at Galatia. And he's telling them what's happened over the past uh, months to years. And he's, and he's just connecting with them. He's talking about this meeting he had with the Jerusalem Council, which involved Peter, James, and John, and other uh, men of the faith, leaders of the faith. And so Paul tells us that he met with James, Cephas, Peter, and John. And they're asking him these questions. What's going on, Paul? How was your experience? Tell us what you're preaching. Make sure we're lining up. Paul, what happened while you were out there? Is, is going to the Gentiles a good idea? What's happening? And so Paul's coming back going, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, to Paul, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, those outside of Israel family, those outside of the Jewish communities, and that they would go to the circumcised, those in the Jewish communities, those called into Israel, into the family. All they asked, and this is key, this is key, you guys, all they asked was that we would continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do, Paul says. Now, just one request. Just one. I want you to picture this group. You're a fly in the, on the wall. You're, you're in the room where it happens. The leaders of the new church are gathering, and Paul and Barnabas are explaining what's going on, the miracles that they have experienced through the Gentiles as the Holy Spirit falls on them, brings them into the family of God. Paul is telling them of the gospel, of the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus as Messiah, grace through faith, fruit of the Spirit, practicing the good news of Jesus, conveying the Sermon on the Mount. Make sure you build your house on the rock. And then there's this whole thing that he talks about with abstaining from sacrificed idols, stop drinking blood, you guys, and also don't eat meat of the strangled animals. Also, please... Uh, sexual immorality, stay away from that too. There's that point too. So Peter and James and John, you can imagine as, as Paul is telling them all of these things, they're going, 
Yes, and amen, brother. Woohoo! All sounds good, Paul. We love what you're saying. Keep the faith. Go forth with our blessing. And as Paul and Barnabas are taken off, smiles on their faces, Peter goes, oh, oh, hey, hey, there's one thing. There's one thing I want you to remember as you keep going. Remember the poor. <laughs> and Paul says, that's the very thing I'm eager to do. That's the very thing I want to continue to do. So I'm just curious. I want you to place yourself in this situation. What does the church place importance on now? Now, we're part of an Acts 29 network, churches planting churches. And so I want to be careful here. But what is the importance? What, what, and I want to hear from you. What are some things that you think Peter, James, and John would say to Paul as he's leaving? Hey, Paul, don't forget about... Let me hear you. No wrong answers. The wounded. The what? The addict. Okay, you guys are cheating now. Come on. Give me some serious answers. What do you think the church, the Western church today would say, hey, Paul, don't forget. Growth. Thank you. Tithing. Staying on budget. Paul, don't forget to set up elders. Paul, don't forget that they're serving. We need childcare helpers. Hey, Paul, please make sure that they go through our 12-step course to make sure that they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, have they been baptized yet? Are you doing that? Paul, have you figured out the pre-mill, the post-mill, all-mill? What, what are you teaching? Are, they making, are you making sure they get that? You know what I mean? There's a lot of different things that I, hear me now, I don't think the Western church would say, remember the poor. I want to read from a commentary from Todd Wilson, the Preaching the Word commentary series of what he says about this. This is a tragedy of conservative Christianity. In the last century, evangelicals have remembered the gospel, but forgotten the poor. We've done well to hold firm to our orthodox beliefs, but we have tended to turn a blind eye to the plight of the poor. We've been faithful to being doctrinally sound as well we should. But we've been lax about caring for the least of these. The tragedy of liberal Christianity, on the other hand, is that it remembers the poor but forgets the gospel. For example, many churches in his hometown where he pastors are eager to participate in shelters, care for the homeless, food pantries, other social services, but they forget to talk about the fall of man. They forget to talk about the Garden of Eden. They forget to talk about the wrath of God, of eternal punishment, of the substitutionary atonement, of the goodness of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. There's two ditches here. But if we're to be holistic and biblical Christians, if we're to take the gospel message seriously, to live a gospel-rooted life, we cannot either forget the gospel or the poor. And that's seen throughout the heart of God, his character in all of Israel and his times of bringing them closer to him and also the New Testament church of what they cared about. Loving honesty. I want to have a loving honesty, uh, just some comments with you. 
What matters most of us, what matters the most to us, and we're talking about all of life as the kingdom grows, as, as the church grows, as we look and hope to plant other churches. And I'm not talking about ideals, but I'm talking about reality. Church, I, I, this, is, this is home for me. This is family. You are family. I call you family. And so I love this church. And so what I'm doing right now is actually a critique of the family I belong to. And I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I think we can do better. I think we can set our hearts towards serving the poor in a much better and clearer way. And all of life, church, family, I want you to be a part of it. You see, the gospel, the good news, doesn't challenge us to give to others what we don't already have. It challenges us to give to others what we've been given in abundance. It calls to us as Peter and says, what I have, I give to you. Freely you've been given, so whatever I have, I give to you. That's the heart of the gospel implanted into the believer. Whatever I have, I give to you. What is it that God has blessed you in? Now think more than just spiritual giftings, the giftings in the New Testament. I'm talking about your job where where God has set you, has placed you. How has he blessed you with that? Your finances, your talents, your connections, your life experiences, your knowledge, and more. How has God blessed you? How has God seen you? Now, if we faithfully follow Jesus, I believe this wholeheartedly as I, walk, as I walk through the New Testament, as I see how Jesus brings believers and Christians into maturity, is that you will one day, sooner or later, after faithfully discipling and apprenticing under Jesus, come to service of the poor. It's going to come to your doorstep. The Spirit is going to lead you to this. Jesus pursued the poor by promising a great reversal of fortunes for the poor one day. As I come back to the Beatitudes, you'll hear some of this. The good news that Jesus both preached and embodied goes beyond souls getting saved and going to heaven. I think, I, personally, I grew up in, in, a, in the 90s into the two, early 2000s of, of hearing uh, Kirk Cameron go to people and talk about, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever had sex before marriage? And, and hearing, yes, 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 and checking those off. And most of what he was doing was getting people to acknowledge their sin and then, and then move them into acceptance and faith in Jesus. Following Jesus so much more. I know that's a start, and that's a good start. But getting people, souls saved and into heaven is not what Christianity is just about. It's not less than that, but it's a lot more. This kingdom is going to include a great reversal of fortunes for the poor in Christ. God's kingdom has come to earth. So in a word... The kingdom, those who are oppressed, those who oppress the poor, shall be put down. The last will be first. The humble be exalted, and the meek inherit the earth. This is Jesus' way. This is Jesus' kingdom. This is what it looks like. And so, how Paul decides to articulate this tells us so much. 
Peter, James, and John go, hey, Paul, remember the poor. And he comes back and he said, I'm eager to do that. He's resolved and he's willing and he's going to do whatever it takes to prioritize the poor. And you hear, I can just hear it when you read it, that Paul is saying in a joyful tone, it's the very thing I, I just want to do. It's the thing that brings me most joy is remembering the poor. So, UGM, Union Gospel Mission. I just want to tell you guys a little bit about this. I've been with them for the past seven months. I spent 10 years working for UPS, delivering packages out of that brown truck without AC. So if there's anybody UPS, oh man, I'm feeling for you. Uh, but getting chased by dogs, yeah, don't miss it. And so God had called me uh, uh, about maybe six years into UPS to really consider uh, vocational ministry. And so this came about, one, through um, the blessing of having Bonnie work there for several years in Coeur d'Alene. She had worked with UGM, and we made beautiful connections. And we had this opportunity come up that I just decided, we decided together, let's go after this. And so the Union Gospel Mission, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Their mission statement is partnering with the Inland Northwest to reach the poor with the love and power of the gospel so they may become God-dependent, contributing members of society. And that's honestly, as, as a leader of the church, that's what we want for everybody, is to become God-dependent, contributing members of society. But we're, specifically, we are looking at the poor to become that. The Union Gospel Mission has been serving in Spokane for over 70 years. It began as a soup kitchen, come and have some dinner, some lunch, and then it moved into rescue shelters over time. Over the years, it expanded to say, we need more. We don't need to just feed people. We want to be part of freeing people. And so we moved into rescue that would help people come into the house to receive care far more than just food. And now we have three recovery centers, two in Spokane, a men and women's shelter, and then we have the Center for Women and Children here in Coeur d'Alene. And so as, as, as the kingdom grows, this is something uh, that is bittersweet, but Bonnie and I have uh, been tasked, been challenged, been blessed, been privileged to move back to Lewiston, Idaho, to, shut up, to set up a shelter there. UGM's first homeless shelter in Lewiston, Idaho, first and only. There is nowhere to go in Lewiston for the homeless. And so we heard a need, the Union Gospel heard a need, and we said, you know what? We'll come. And it just so happened we had those connections. It's where I'm from. It's where Bonnie's from. And we said, you know what, Lord? Here I am. I'll go. And so over the course of the next year, we'll be continuing to work with UGM, train, and be a, a blessed and blessing, and, and we'll eventually move back to help set up that shelter. Key things about UGM, no government funding. This is something that's really important to us. We want to be free to preach the gospel, but without anybody's fingers in it. We want to have the freedom to say Jesus is Lord, and it is the only way you can be saved. We are a high barrier shelter, which means we're a clean, safe, and healing environment that does not uh, facilitate anyone coming into the shelter to continue in their uh, active um, relapses and addiction. 
And so we're hiring to help people into recovery so that they can continue in sobriety and live in recovery. Three meals a day. We provide clothing, toiletries, and other necessities that are completely taken care of, free of charge. Case management, we help with jobs and housing and education. We have basic medical uh, services on site. Chapel services, and this being the most important to UGM, is that we provide uh, chapel services and spiritual care, partnering with multiple churches in our area, saying, please come and preach the good news to those that need to hear it. Our goal is that every single person that enters our doors has the opportunity for an invitation of life with Christ. I would, like, I would like now for you to turn your attention to the screen and just to hear some of the testimonies that come from the Union Gospel Mission, a, a five-minute video. Please uh, watch this. What brought me to UGM was my struggle with addiction. I had a rough time growing up. My dad was sent to jail around age 15, and unfortunately, that turned my whole life upside down. I grew up in the foster care system, and I was a young mom. I became a mom at 15. I actually became addicted to drugs when I was 18. This is the longest I've been sober being in program. I was homeless, and I was on suicide watch at the hospital, and this is the only place that I had to go. I am an alcoholic, so I came here to um, work on my sobriety in a great, safe environment, which I enjoy. I'd been homeless for Wow, seven years before I actually came here. It's a very humbling experience. What brought me to UGM is wanting to give myself and my daughter a better chance for our future, um, a fresh start. Getting pregnant with her is what made me decide to make decision to come here. And it was the best decision I made in my entire life. Um, probably even thus far to a point because of all the great decisions I've made since then have been made because of this facility. I wanted my life back. I wanted to be able to stay clean and sober and redevelop a relationship with Christ. Two beautiful women checked me in and they were so friendly and nice and made me feel so welcome. It was beautiful. My experience at UGM has completely changed my life. I really didn't like myself, and so now UGM has completely just changed that. I feel so confident and like like a different person. Um, the classes here are amazing, so yeah. The program here isn't just abstinence from drug or alcohol. It gives you tools to combat the underlying issues just the alcohol and drugs were just a, a symptom of the overall wounds that I had. The program has helped me rebuild my life from the ground up. It has given me a new sense of hope. I can interact with people now. I can do this and stand in front of a camera and, and feel confident about who I am. In program, I learned my value through Jesus Christ and not through people. And I should never ever base my worth on another person's opinion of me. The books and the classes are just like, they so hit home for me because they, it's like, oh my gosh, that's written for me. That's written for me, or that's written for you. That's written for all of us. The search for significance and boundaries have been lifesavers for me. 
They truly have. They've changed my life significantly. I am actually volunteering currently at the Salvation Army Food Bank. I just got a job offer from them to be a truck driver. They're going to be paying for my CDL. Eventually moving forward, I'm going to get a vehicle, save up some money and move into the UGM transitional housing over on Sprague. What am I excited for? Um, the fact that I have a job, the fact that my daughter and I have a place to live, and the fact that one of these days we'll be on our own. I am still trying to figure out what I'm gonna do, but I know that I wanna help other people. Yeah. Like me, so, yeah. I'm not alone anymore, and I have God, and I have my kids, and I haven't had my kids in a while. The support system here is absolutely amazing. Um, the volunteers, and especially you know, these gals, they, they, their time is valuable. They come in here on their time off and they help us out and they give more than, more than they're given credit for. You know, we wouldn't be able to function if it wasn't for them. They've given me tools, they've given me insight and coping mechanisms that far exceed what I ever thought I was gonna get. Now I can go back out there and, and be productive as well as be a humble member of society. Right now I'm going to college. I'm in college to be a medical billing coding specialist and I'm loving it. My daughter goes to this college for preschool and she's loving it. So I'm going to continue in with keeping that going and getting a career in that field and making a life and a future for my daughter and I. Um, a big, big percentage of that is thanks to me being here. I know how much Jesus and God loves me. And it's, uh, oh, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes uh, how much they love me. Yeah. And that, that, of what I've learned is how much he loves us no matter what. And I don't feel shame and guilt anymore. I love, I love working for this ministry. Um, before I, I, you would hear about people not hearing about Jesus. And uh, in my sphere of influence at UPS, I, I don't think I ever ran into somebody that hadn't been to church, grew up in church, had heard, hadn't heard about Jesus, like all, all of these things until I went to the Union Gospel Mission. And so on, on the daily that we have somebody enter our doors, that we get to sit down and pretty much just say at first and foremost is, are you hungry? <laughs> Do you need some new clothes? Do you know about Jesus? And for them to say no, they've never heard in Spokane, in Coeur d'Alene, like there, there are people with us that do not know Jesus. And I think it's just a, such a beautiful opportunity that there's ministry in our city that is doing this work. And I want you to be a part of it. I want all of life to be a part of that. And so I care about this. I want you to care about this, but even more, I want you to care about it because God cares about it. And I think it's, gonna, it's really good for your heart, for your soul. So what do we do with this information? What do we do with, with what we just watched, with what I've told, talked to you about, about the growth of the kingdom? Excuse me. Focus on gratitude. So focus on gratitude over guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is not a God-honoring motivator. So put that aside for a second, okay? Please, don't go towards that. But I want you, I want to ask you, would you decipher? 
Would you sit and contemplate? Would you pray if you are feeling conviction? And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had conviction and you respond to it, I've never regretted it. If the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something and you do it, you've probably never regretted it. Cultivate thankfulness and lean into generous giving to what God is calling you into. So have a heart of gratitude. Open your eyes. Grapple with what, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. meant when he said, the violence of poverty and humiliation hurts just as intensely as the violence of a club. Open your mind and heart to what a single mother who's lived her whole life in poverty line means when she says, in part, poverty is about having no money. But there is more to poverty than that. It's about being isolated. It's about being unsupported. It's about being uneducated and unwanted. Poor people want to be included. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Just wanting to be included. Not just judged or rescued at the times of crisis, just included. Open your schedule. Open your schedule to the lives of the poor, to those in need. Come and serve at the Union Gospel Mission. I have a, a booth back here that I want to give you more information if you're interested. That I would love to invite you in either to the men's mission, which is in Spokane, or the women's uh, recovery shelter, which is here in Coeur d'Alene. Our own Joanne Zychek, who is not here today, but she is the director of the women's facility. If you would like more information, would you contact? I mean, she's part of our family, you guys. Contact her. Get to know her. Be a part of the UGM family in Coeur d'Alene. Take the next right step. For some of us, that will mean wrestling with the implications of the gospel and what Jesus Christ is calling us to. For others, that will mean adjusting our attitude towards wealth and towards the poor. It may mean that some of us are being called in to step into something very uncomfortable, and there are uncomfortable moments. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you in those uncomfortable moments. It may mean reprioritizing certain things in your life, but this is a blanket statement. And yes, it's for this, but I just want to encourage you. And maybe if this is the only thing you got today, I'm really okay with that. Whatever God is calling you, whatever the Holy Spirit is nudging you towards, do it. Do it. Lean in and follow him. So I'd like to invite the worship team back up and like to pray into this next song. Sometimes we make the kingdom too complex. And we don't need to. It's seed of the gospel. It's the water of the good news of the rivers of living life coming out of you. And we rely on God to give the growth. Now we pray that the kingdom as the leaven, as the yeast, permeates every part of our body within us and comes outward as the mustard seed and produces life and fruit. Together, we make a beautiful garden.